Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 138 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Oh, it's you. <laughs> and my husband Dylan is the sound recordist. Huh? What? I've been here the whole time, guys. Did you forget? Yes. I do, I hear, Toby, do you hear that? Is that <laughs> Bailey? I'm back, baby. Oh, what an apropos cho- choice of words. That's true. I'm back from the baby. Well, she still exists. She's still here, but I'm back on the good, podcast. Good, good. <laughs> How's her podcasting game? Mm, well, she ha- she knows a few words. These are the words she knows. Squawk, <laughs> coo, mm-hmm. um, flail, and... <laughs> Joyce Carol Oates. Joyce Carol Oates. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, I haven't been, well, before Maggie came, when I was just sort of waiting to go into labor, I was reading a lot. And then when Andrew and my mom were in town helping take care of Maggie, I was reading a fair amount. But since then, I've mostly been reading Silly Little Sloth, Hop on Pop, The Alphabet (laughs) Book. And Atlas Shrugged. (laughs) Yeah. Is it bad that my brain was so slow that you said silly little sloth? And I was like, huh, I wonder what like YA series that is. (laughs) (laughs) But I do have to report you guys that uh, since I've last been on the podcast, I've read three books off the to read list. What? I'm down to 135. Which is only 10 more than we started on. (laughs) (laughs) You secretly completed books off the to-read list? What were they? Well, I read The Rosie Result, which is the third book mm. in the Rosie Project series. Um, then I read Frankly in Love, which is a YA book. Is it about Frankenstein in high school and he's like falling for someone? Is it about a hot dog falling in love with a bun? <laughs> Andrew, we are at the top of our game. Bailey goes away. <laughs> and I just want to say, I've got the Dr. Frankenstein covered. You got the hot dog covered. We got this. That's the whole food pyramid. (laughs) Frankly in Love is about a Korean-American boy named Frank Lee, L.I., who falls Mm. in love. Oh, okay. I get it. And I like it. Um, And then I read a romance book called Get a Life, Chloe Brown, which was not my favorite. I'm going to be honest. Ooh. Not enough conflict in that one. Um, So, yeah, so that's three. And I also read Trust Exercise, which Andrew read. But with all that said, guys, so I got down to 135. I got some shame. Oh, no. So I bought four new books. (laughs) Oh, no. So I'm back to 139. I wonder why you bought those. I bought those because somebody got me a gift certificate for a bookstore for my birthday. And that somebody was my brother, Andrew. So so I have four new books to add to the list. One, Burn Our Bodies Down, which is the new book by Rory Power, who we had on the podcast talking about Wilder Girls. Um, Lakewood, which is a creepy sci-fi book like inspired by the Tuskegee experiments. I was told it would get easier, which is by the woman who wrote The Bookish Life of Nina Hill, which will be fun. Mm. And... Um, this book that was very buzzy called Grown Ups, which is described as conversations with friends meets Fleabag. So I am I was in. Yeah, so I'm, I'm up to 139. I also <laughs> bought four books on pre-order, but those don't count because they haven't arrived yet. That is delayed shame. The other name for pre-order. <laughs> <laughs> this is a new practice for me, but I think I'm going to get into it because I'm going to forget about it. And it's just going to show up at my door and be like, oh, another book, another shame. Dylan, how are you feeling being back on the podcast? Oh, I miss it so much. I sense sarcasm. Yeah, that doesn't sound genuine at all. (laughs) 
No, it's been fun. As Billy says, I've been able to dive into child literature no matter how much I tell Bailey that Maggie cannot read. We read her Charlotte's Web. We did read her all of Charlotte's Web. I can attest that Dylan does some excellent voices. <laughs> they had, they did. What was the voice that you guys did for the um, carnival guy? He was from deep Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> we gave him a nice little Cajun flavor to announce this new pig. Some pig. <laughs> oh, boy. Guys, I don't know if you remember. Charlotte's Web, it's not what you remember. Fern is out by the second act. She's like moved on and, and trying to hang out with a boy and totally forgotten about Wilbur. I can't remember anything at all except for maybe, like, if I'm remembering it correctly, a climactic scene where there's like people, including like newspapermen, journalists, looking at the spider to see what she's gonna write next. Is that the? Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. Spoiler. I think it's okay. <laughs> Everybody's so excited. Like they see the the web that says some yeah. pig. And they're yeah. like, oh my gosh, this pig. And I'm like, what about the spider that yeah. just wrote words in the spider web? I remember having that exact reaction when I was a child. Like, even when I was a child, I was like, this plot makes no sense. I still don't get how the pig did it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, do you guys have anything else for the intro? or? I um, uh, have a little bit of shame. <gasps> oh. Ooh, Andrew's got shame too. Hey, it's a, a shame that can also be transitional here. Because my shame is I picked up a copy from a lovely little bookstore on Whidbey Island near Seattle. I picked up a copy of The Mirror and the Light, which is the third book in the Thomas Cromwell trilogy, which Wolf Hall is the first book of. Andrew, can I sing you a song? Uh, You can. And I'm I'm mad that you haven't already. It goes like this. (laughs) Shame, shame, shame. (laughs) Shame, Andrew. That's all I got. Thank you. I mean, that's all you need. Continue with your podcast. Appropriately appropriately shattered by it. Well, does that mean, Andrew, that you liked Wolf Hall enough to want to read the other two in the series? Okay, you have to wait for my review, Bailey. I'm not giving it away for free. (laughs) You you left him wide open for a tease on that one. It's like you guys are planning it. (laughs) I mean, you can't ask for a better transition there. So let's transition. We don't have a transition song. You know this, right? Okay. You usually just ask me what it is, and then I say the name of the book. Book, 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 book review. Andrew, you had a book to read this week. What book did you read? I read Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Oh, woo, woo, woo. About Werewolves the werewolves of London. London. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Warren Zevon bringing us to Wolf Hall. It's beautiful. So um, I have a little log line here, and it's sort of a hard book for a log line because it's the first in a trilogy, but here, I'm going to try. Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel follows a real-life figure, Thomas Cromwell, as he rises from cast-off son of a blacksmith to King Henry VIII's closest confidant. Giving you a center point in Cromwell, the book follows the churning social and political maelstrom of England's royal court, where personal whims can shape the course of history. Tracking to the end of Henry's first marriage and the emergence of Anne Boleyn, Mantel expertly sets the stage for one of history's most notorious figures while giving a lesser-known side of the story the spotlight. Mm. I would have just said, Henry VIII won a new wife. (laughs) That's uh, the majority of it, yes. So, 
I will try very much not to spoil this. Um, it is history, so I'm going to take for granted that some of you know things like Anne Boleyn eventually marries Henry VIII. Oh, um, but here come we go. On. I don't think I don't think you can spoil this book. I feel like we all know the rhyme of of Henry's six wives, which is divorced. I mean, beheaded. I've never heard this before in my whole life. <laughs> I am divorced, Henry VIII, beheaded, I am. dived. No, di- divorced, divorced, beheaded, died. Divor- divorced, beheaded, survived. Sounds like you don't know the rhyme. I nailed it. <laughs> anyway, I don't. I don't think you can spoil it. But go ahead, Andrew. Okay. Um, basically, my logline is the plot. We follow Thomas Cromwell, who is a low-born, self-made man who, through successful merchant dealings and shrewd political alliances and whatnot, rises from the very dregs of society to being the closest confidant to the most powerful man in England. And that's what we're following. Uh, the central difficulty here is, you know, the schism between Rome and Catholicism and Henry VIII wanting to divorce his first wife to ensure that he has a male heir. That's the stage. That's what we're playing in. (laughs) If that sounds interesting to you, that's honestly the best reason to read it, because the history nerd in me was lapping this up and had a great time. And so I'll use that to transition into my elves. It's a compelling story and it's well told. Definitely good for a history nerd like me. And when I say history nerd, I'm not like an expert in this specific time. I'm not an expert in Tudor England or Henry VIII at all. But I mean, I have a cursory knowledge of how many wives he had. Um, Six. Their <laughs> names. Um, Mostly Catherine. But so if that's something that interests you, I would definitely read it. You don't need to know more than that. You could can know less than that. But uh, it was fun for me to like recognize some names along the way. I got like a little tittle of joy from that. And then beyond that, it's fun to have it told from a different angle. These stories and like all history is often just told from the uh, the rulers. So it was fun to have this sort of one degree removed relationship to Henry who doesn't actually show up in the book as like a, a character who you interact with until 200 to 300 pages in. Um, he's more of an offstage character and then he becomes more and more a part of the book. So I enjoyed having that angle. I don't know how historically accurate this is. I can't speak to Hilary Mantel's, you know, knowledge of the exact inner workings of the minds of Thomas Cromwell and others, but it felt very well researched and it was enjoyable from a history perspective. Hmm. And beyond that, Cromwell, the character she chooses is a really fun character to follow because he has this weird balance. And I don't know if I've seen it in a lot of other characters where he's like very level-headed. He's not too rash on a lot of things. You see him think through his process of these things, but then that like matter-of-factness that he brings to the table is like counterweighted by like the giant uh, consequences of what he's dealing with, like separating an entire nation from a, a church and basically changing the course of uh, a European country's history. So I thought that was a fun dynamic. And he's also like, inwardly pretty funny sometimes. I don't know if that's everyone's experience reading the book, but he has some asides where he's talking to someone who he clearly thinks is kind of dumb and you get what he's thinking in his head versus what he's actually saying. And I thought that was pretty fun. And I think Hilary Mantel does a good job of balancing getting some funny things in when she's also needing to get out, you know, literally information about what happened in history. Yeah. I'm just jumping in to say, you know, you guys were on the podcast without me and 
you probably forgot, but Wolf Hall was on the to read list for me. Dun dun dun. So uh, <laughs> we realized, but after it was too late. <laughs> so I couldn't just let it go because I figured if I didn't read it for this podcast, I was never going to read it. Yeah. And you guys know me, or if you don't, now you do. This is the kind of thing I would do. So I also You're read a Wolf Hall. <laughs> um, and I, I echo everything you're saying, Andrew, and I just want to piggyback on what you're saying about the funny aspects of Cromwell and just give an example, which is there's a chapter called Arrange Your Face. And it's like something he keeps telling himself to like, keep it together when people are being ridiculous, you know, or he's just trying to hide what he knows. So he thinks in his mind, arrange your face, which I thought was very funny. Um, is that an example of the hilarity this book gets up to? <laughs> arrange I mean, your face. <laughs> I mean, in context, it's funnier than us explaining it, Toby. But you had to be there, Toby. I see, I see what side of the fence you're on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also just want to put out there that I, I, I wouldn't say I'm a history nerd, but um, I love to watch The Spanish Princess on Stars. I think I'm the only person that watches that show. Um, <laughs> so I was very excited to see all these people. Um, and it was fun to see Cromwell go off against Margaret Pole, who is quite the villain. Um, I don't know. I... Andrew, I don't know how to describe the humor, but it's like Cromwell is just like biting. Yeah, he's just kind of sassy, but yeah. not to anybody. So he's like inwardly sassy. And that's where sort of the fun comes. He's sassy and know. gets away with it, probably because he's common born or something. I don't know. But he's saying crazy things to the King of England and still he's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and- the, the King of England, the King of England makes a speech and he's like, arrange your face. Exactly. Totally yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Okay. So Toby's a hater, um, but moving on to things I still liked about the book. Um, So another thing I I enjoyed was that Mantell juggles a lot of names and facts and like sort of dry info. Well, this is where some of that humor comes in, but I was more engaged than I thought I was going to be throughout the book. And there's a little bit of the, you need to get through the initial setup of this book before it starts to move along a little bit. But I think she like balanced needing to tell readers information with telling a story pretty well but how many of those people are named thomas we will talk about how many thomases <laughs> there are in this book in my orc section <laughs> spoiler alert every character is named thomas but yeah uh she does it in sort of clear language that is compelling and not completely dry, but also not so convoluted that I had to go back a lot because I don't know. I, I don't know what to say more than she does a good job balancing the telling of the story and the telling of the history, if that makes sense. Mm. I have one example of writing from the book that I really liked, which is from very late in the book, but there are no spoilers in it. This is from page 597. You can have a silence full of words. A lute retains in its bowl the notes it has played, the viol in its strings hold a concord, a shriveled petal can hold its scent, a prayer can rattle with curses, an empty house, when owners have gone out, can still be loud with ghosts. Arrange your face. So we're never going to tell Toby anything we like again because he's just going (laughs) to mock it. But yeah, so that's just an example of language I liked. If you like the sound of that, you might like Mantel's writing. That was was truly very beautiful. That was great. Arrange your face, Toby, for the next (laughs) elf I have. Um, It made me want to read the next book in the series, uh, Bring Up the Bodies, and it made me pick up a copy of The Mirror and the Light. So obviously I enjoyed it. I was compelled. And uh, that's, I mean, pretty much all you can say for the first book in a trilogy. If you want to read the next one, I think it's pretty successful. 
Nice. Uh, Bailey, before I move on to my orcs, I want to give you space to say anything that you I felt like I missed in terms of things you liked. Um, I think all of that I agree with. I'm also interested in the next book um, because the next book, guys, Henry VIII is crazy. This whole book is about how he's trying to marry Anne Boleyn, and the whole next one is about how he doesn't want to be married to Anne Boleyn anymore. And we all know how that one ends. Oh, no. Oh, no. Everyone knows that rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm interested in that. And then the third book, whew, whew, we know what happens in the third book, too. So, <laughs> If you don't know, don't research it, because I think it would be fun to come to the story through this book, if that's how you want to do it. I feel like I feel like the Venn diagram of people who don't know their British history and people who enjoy this podcast is non-existent. <laughs> it's a circle. Yeah, so to pivot to some of the things I liked a little less, um, the length to drama ratio was a little bit off for me. It's a 600-page book, at least in the uh, paperback version I have, and it felt very much like it was setting the stage for the series, which, you know, the first book of a trilogy should. And I know it's based on history that's going to get more dramatic, uh, but the stakes, while they were, like, in the grand scheme of the world, very high... They didn't feel super in doubt for a lot of the book. Mm-hmm. Like, you, there's not necessarily a lot of suspense. But that said, you kind of got to get through this part to set the stage for what comes next. So it wasn't a like a tremendous orc for me, but I just kind of felt like that drama to amount of pages in this book wasn't quite the right ratio. Another thing, and we already talked about this a little bit, there are a lot of names, facts, things like that. In particular, there's a lot of Thomases. Literally every other named character is a Thomas. I don't think that that's actually literally true, but it might as well be. Mantell is aware of this. Yeah. <laughs> and makes fun of it even in the book. Like she says something like, I, I yelled for you, Thomas. And he says, well, I guess everybody in this house would come or half this house <laughs> would be awake if you yelled Thomas. Um, and, you know, there's in certain ways you can't really get around that because she's literally using real characters from history. But it was a little bit difficult to follow. My copy did have a cast of characters and a family tree, which was useful at times. But, you know, that's something to think of if you get easily confused with names. It might not be the best choice for you. Um, there's another sort of weird choice that Mantel makes, which stylistically works for what she's trying to do, but takes a little bit to get used to, which is that Cromwell, our protagonist, is referred to as he or him most of the time, not as his name. Yes, that was confusing. Yes, so it'll be like the middle of a paragraph where a bunch of people have been talking, but capital H, he starts talking, and you you come to realize that that means Cromwell, but that did take about 50 pages for me to get used to. Once you get used to that, it actually works for the story because that's how you get the inside of his brain versus what he's saying more clearly because the rest of the book is written in third person. So it ends up working, but it, it is an acquired taste. And I guess the only other orc I sort of have is that if you don't have a natural affinity for this English history, I could see the book dragging. It just didn't happen to drag for me, but I put that forth as a warning to people who are um, considering picking it up. I don't know how much of the fun of reading it came from the fact that I was already interested in the story, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think we should toss it over to Toby because I think he has some opinions. Yeah, Toby certainly seems to have opinions. Oh, no. 
Um, yeah, no, I, I've, uh, I abandoned this twice now. I considered, <laughs> um, I picked up a physical copy of it back when it came out, um, gave it a shot and was just really turned off. I can't, I couldn't even tell you what exactly I was just, yeah, like something struck me and I was like, oh, I don't want to read this book. And then I, um, I tried the audiobook to maybe do it for this podcast. And again, like something about it, I was just like, I didn't have the draw toward the history, even though I really enjoy history books. It just really didn't strike a chord with me. So, sorry, Hillary. Hey, I, I totally can see why this book wouldn't be for everyone, and that's not even that's not meant as a judgment thing. I could it just happened to tick some boxes for me that I don't think it would take yeah. for everyone. But people love it. People on Goodreads mm-hmm. love this book. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Bailey, did you have any other orcs you wanted to throw in? Um. No, I would agree with everything that you said. I would just say like. You're exactly right that it is long and it feels long if you know the ending, which, again, if you know the rhyme, you know the ending. (laughs) Bailey, how many times are you going to humble brag about your knowledge of this era of history? Oh, if you know the rhyme. Oh, do do you mean Anne Boleyn? Because we all know what happened to her. Am I right? But like, that's a basic thing, no? That's true. No, it is true. It is true. Okay, I'm just giving you a hard time. Anyway, I'm not adding anything here, but I I agree with everything Andrew says. I think I liked it a little bit less than he did. I I gave it three stars, which is like Mm. solid, good, but not necessarily like I don't really get the hype that people absolutely love it. With that said, I want to keep reading the series, so maybe it's more like a four, but I'm going to give it a three. What did you end up giving it, Andrew? I gave it a four. It it picked up enough in the second half that my sort of initial hesitation, which came from the slowness of the first half, I got over and I ended up uh, going with four stars, mostly because, you know, it did give the momentum for me to want to read the next one. So I feel good about that. And I'm wondering if a lot of the love for this comes from the second book, because I had never heard of this book, but then I heard of about Bring Up the Bodies in conjunction with this and that's when i like really heard the obsession in like book world so i don't know if that's true but i'm wondering if um part of it is that these two books at least the first two are like a package deal yeah the mini series Mm. that they made for masterpiece theater which i know about toby because i know about tudor history um (laughs) covers books one and two and claire foy stars as anne boleyn who i know because i know about tudor history so but yes, it is a package deal, those two together. And Mark Rylance stars as uh, Thomas Cromwell, who I know about because of the BFG. Yes. And yeah, if that's not obvious, I'm going to keep the book on my shelf. Um, and I'd love to know any facts uh, Sweet Toby has about Hillary. Tell us, Sweet Toby. Oh, me. Um, okay. So, Hillary Mantel. Dame Hillary Mantel. Um, Ooh, was born the dame. 6th of July. Dame. Uh, was born the 6th of July, 1952. Um, she's an English writer whose work includes historical fiction, personal memoir, and short stories. Uh, she's won the Booker Prize twice, um, the first time for Wolf Hall, and the second time for Bring Up the Bodies, the second installment in the Cromwell trilogy. Unfortunately, the last book in the trilogy, The Mirror and the Light, was only long-listed for the Booker Prize, which is a Ooh. real bummer. Well, kind of like Anne Cleves was a real bummer. Get it? Bailey. <laughs> um, and then the rest of this is um, I was searching around for interviews and stuff by uh, with her. And then I saw that she wrote an article for The Guardian called How I Came to Write Wolf Hall. And I was like, oh. you know what? You can't get it more straight from the wolf's mouth. Ha ha ha. Ha 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 ha. I'm just going to read you excerpts from that article. 
Here we go. This is by Hilary Mantel herself. Show up at the desk is one of the first rules of writing, but for Wolf Hall, I was about 30 years late. When I began writing in the 1970s, I thought of myself simply as a historical novelist. I can't do plots, I thought, so I'll let history do them for me. I had an idea that, after the French Revolution was done and dusted, Thomas Cromwell might be the next job. Blacksmith's boy to Earl of Essex. How did he do it? The story seemed irresistible. I thought someone else would write it. Biographies of him are cut up into topics, finance, religion, and so on. He seemed not to have a private life. It wasn't that I wanted to rehabilitate him. I do not run a priory clinic for the dead. Rather, I was driven by a powerful curiosity. If a villain, an interesting villain, yes. My first explorations challenged my easy prejudices. Some readers think I've been too easy on Cromwell. In fact, it's possible to write a version of his career in which he is, at worst, the loyal servant of a bad master. That's interesting. I don't think of him as the villain, but... I guess yeah, I'm wondering what happens later, because, yeah, if you read just Wolf Hall, I don't think you would go away thinking he was the villain. Well, we know what happens next, right? Everybody does. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bailey, I'm going to ruin you. <laughs> uh, back to Hillary. She says, when I sat down to write at last, it was with relish for his company. The title arrived before a word was written. Wolf Hall, besides being the home of the Seymour family, seemed an apt name for wherever Henry's court resided. But I had no idea what the book would be like, how it would sound. I could see it rather than hear it. A slow, swirling backdrop of jeweled black and gold, a dark glitter at the corner of my eye. I woke one morning with some words in my head. So now get up. It took a while to work out that this was not an order to get the day underway. It was the first sentence of my novel. And it is the first sentence of the novel. That is true. <laughs> um, and here's uh, the last excerpt. After I'd written the first page, I was flooded by exhilaration. I am usually protective of my work, not showing it to anyone until it has been redrafted and polished. But I would have liked to walk around with an idiot grin, saying to the world, do you want to see my first page? Soon the complexity of the material began to unfold. So many interpretations, so many choices, so much detail to be sifted, so much material. But then suddenly no material, only history silences, erasures. Until a late stage, what would become a trilogy was still one book. It was only when I began to explore the contest between Thomas Cromwell and Thomas More that I realized I was writing the climax of a novel, not merely another chapter. The facts of history are plain enough, but the shape of the drama was late to emerge, and the triple structure later still. In my mind, the trilogy remains one long project, with its flickering patterns of light and dark, its mirrors and shadows. What I wanted to create is a story that reflects but never repeats, a sense of history in listening and talking to itself. And there you have it. I think that's very accurate. And if that doesn't appeal to you, you will not like this book. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of history. Talking back to itself. Absolutely. All right. So that is Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Four stars. Wolf, 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 wolf. Ooh. Ah, ooh. So, now, uh, guess what? <laughs> no, yeah, Andrew, Bailey, <laughs> you, you read Wolf Hall, but did you read a book of your own like you were supposed to? No, I didn't. End of podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I do love Bailey's transition of, so guess what? <laughs> <laughs> guys, it's been a while since I've been on the podcast here. All right. Guess what, guys? Check it. I read a book too. Whoa. Never guess Whoa. what it was. Uh, the Fountainhead. No. I read a book called White is for Witching by Helen Oyeyemi. It's pretty great. Let me tell you about it. Which, which, which? Which, 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 which? White is for Witching is a coming-of-age gothic horror novel. So if that appeals to you, then you should check this out. <laughs> that takes a lot of boxes that I feel like you like, Bailey. Exactly. Um, it's told from the perspective of two twins 
um, growing up in Dover, which is a part of England. And the two twins are the narrators. The third narrator is the haunted house they live in. That's cool. <laughs> cool, cool. <laughs> no Sorry, we usually reacting. let people get through their like intro before we start <laughs> yeah. interrupting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to do it my way, guys. Okay, so, so the two twins, the haunted house, they're telling this story. And it is one of those books that starts out and you have no idea what's going on. And as it go as it goes, you sort of figure it out. So this is both an elf and an orc. So I'm going to read a quote so you guys can understand what I'm talking about, because otherwise you're not going to understand this book. So this is what it says on the back of the book. There's something strange about the Silver family's house in the closed-off town of Dover, England. Grand and cavernous with hidden passages and buried secrets, it's been home to four generations of Silver women, Anna, Jennifer, Lily, and now Miranda, who has lived in the house with her twin brother, Elliot, ever since their father converted it to a bed and breakfast. The Silver women had always had a strong connection, a pull over one another that reaches across time and space, and when Lily, Miranda's mother, passes away suddenly while on a trip abroad, Miranda begins suffering strange ailments. An eating disorder starves her. She begins hearing voices. When she brings a friend home, Dover's hostility towards outsiders physically manifests within the four walls of the Silver House, and the lives of everyone inside are irrevocably changed. Okay, so that sounds pretty good, right? You guys would want to read that book. Yes. Yeah. So you sit down, you know, you haven't read a book in a while, and you're excited for this, for this book, and then you read the first page, and this is the first page. Where is Miranda? Miranda Silver is in Dover, in the ground beneath her mother's house. Her throat is blocked with a slice of apple, to stop her speaking words that may betray her. Her ears are filled with earth, to keep her from hearing sounds that will confuse her. Her eyes are closed, but her heart thumbs hard like hummingbird wings. Does she remember me at all? I miss her. I miss the way her eyes are the same shade of gray, no matter the strength or weakness of light. I miss the taste of her. I see her in my sleep, a star planted sea deep. Her arms outstretched, her fist clenched, her black dress clinging to me like mud. She chose this as the only way to fight the Sukiant. So you're like, hold on, what am I even reading? What's going on? I don't know what a Sukiant is. I thought Miranda was the lead character and she's dead. And what? Why is this told in verse? Huh. I'm very confused. Bailey, you don't know the children's rhyme about Sukiants? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell me the r- rhyme right now, Dylan? Uh, Sukiants because he can't? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So suffice it to say is that this is a weird novel. It's a lot of style and maybe a little bit less substance. It's very creepy, but the story doesn't necessarily come together. A lot of the themes that they talk about in the back of the book, I didn't really get from reading it. I would have had to really read into it. Um, so those those are the good and bad parts of it. Um, you can definitely tell that Helenoia Yemi is an excellent writer, but it does feel like which it was like one of her earlier works versus, you know, a fourth novel, like her latest books, Boy Snowbird and Gingerbread that have been highly touted. Um, I did like the connections she talks about between the four generations of female characters. And there's a lot of really creepy ways the house um, interacts with them, such as the fate of Miranda's grandmother. And I loved the idea of the haunted house being a narrator. Oh, hey, y'all, it's me, the haunted house. And even though it's in England, it has that accent. Yes, exactly. Um, And there's creepy lines like, quote, the house is bigger than you know. Dun, dun, dun. Creepy. It's weird that they wrote in dun, dun, dun. Uh, And then I'll just give you uh, one quote that shows how beautiful the prose can be. 
Uh, this is just a description of a character. Lily was a bunch of crumpled pockets and Sylvie is a black dress, perfume scarves, iron posture, and whatever else turns a person into an atmosphere. And I'm a house. <laughs> <laughs> you guys missed us, right? Yes. Uh, so this is a good book. I wouldn't say it's a great book. Um, I would say it was between three or four stars for me, and I ultimately went to three. But I did enjoy going back and then reading the first section after I understood all the pieces. And then I was like, mm. oh, okay, I get it now. Um, so if that appeals to you, if you like the idea of like putting a puzzle together, then you might like this book. Belly, do I like putting puzzles together? I love putting puzzles together. <laughs> I was going to say, no one who listens to this podcast likes puzzles, so I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, White is for Witching, three stars. Toby, do you have any facts? I do have some facts. Um, Helen Oyemi was born on the 10th of December 1984. She's another British novelist and a writer of short stories. Um, this is her third out of six books. Um, and as Bailey mentioned, um, they have been getting more and more um, recognition as they go on with Boy Snowbird in 2014 and Gingerbread in 2019 um, being very well received. So I have an interview here uh, with Fiction Writers Review. The interviewer asks, I think your work is fascinating. As a person of color and an immigrant, your books really speak to me because of the fresh ways you tackle issues of being bicultural. Where do you think the origin of your style came from? And Oyemi answers, I'm not quite sure. It's not really what I wanted to write about. I'd rather write a heartwarming tear jerker or romance or something nice, but that doesn't work. These two things just keep coming out, the immigrant thing and the supernatural thing, but I don't process consciously. I do like reading supernatural narratives. I like imagining that sort of stuff. I find ordinary realist narratives just lacking in something. Like realist narratives aren't real for me. They don't make that much sense. Whereas reading stories in which the world suddenly changes, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense strange mental states, all that stuff. Just seems to be a more, not an honest way, but a more interesting way of describing the world. Considering what happens in the haunted house, that's very weird to say that that it seems more normal, but okay, cool. <laughs> uh, the interviewer asks, have you ever felt that people take your writing less seriously because it is not a, quote, realist narrative? And Oyemi answers, I don't really think of it as speculative or genre writing, and I think I've been quite lucky that people haven't labeled it that way either. But maybe that's just because of being black and being an immigrant, to be honest. So they'll go, oh, it's just magical realism, and try and maneuver around the fact that a lot of crazy stuff happens. They'll be like, she's talking about something else, a whole other experience, when I'm really saying there actually is this racist house. It can be more easily read as a metaphor when you're talking about the standpoint of an other, so it's probably easy to get away with it if you have another identity issue going on. Reviews of White is for Witching, especially in England, have been kind of wishing that it would not be about the supernatural and that I would get down to the nitty gritty of immigrant life, whereas reviews in America and Canada have been like, yeah, the supernatural bit is great, but maybe there's too much of a political agenda. I can't win. Here's the thing, guys. I didn't realize that the house was racist. I read this whole book. I didn't even, I barely got the immigrant stuff. Like, either either it's not clear or I am very tired. I mean, you could be very tired. It could be. Look, it's a very racist house. <laughs> As you can see, it has three bathrooms. Uh, it has a nice kitchen, a little breakfast nook. Although, I have to tell you, it is racist. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, good facts, Toby. Um. Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do. I'm glad you asked. Game, game, game. Game. All right. So, yes, I have a game this week. Full disclosure, I was in the midst of researching, you know, different houses in England that are considered haunted. 
uh, famous witches, uh, a whole number of things. And then yesterday afternoon, Dylan texted me and just said, game idea, Wolf Hall Drag Race. What? Wolf Hall Drag Race. Gentlemen, start your wolf engines. Because Wolf Hall sounds like RuPaul. Is that was that this? Yeah, that's, yeah, the, that's joke. the sentiment. Oh, okay. Wolf Hall sounds like RuPaul. So Wolf Hall Drag Race is the game we're gonna play. Is okay. it as well flushed out of a game as we've played in the past? No. Is it gonna be fun, I think? Yeah. Um, Dylan, I love you. Let's get married. <laughs> so to give a little bit of context uh, for our audience, and I know, Bailey, you've watched RuPaul's Drag Race in the past. I'm not sure. Toby, have you? No, I have never watched it. Okay. I'm aware of what it is, though, of course. Of course. So the long and short of it is I'm going to give you some famous figures from British history, either from Wolf Hall era or other times, and you're going to give me their drag name. And I'm going to judge based on a numerical scale that only exists inside my head and go from there. Um, Toby, as you haven't watched a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race, (laughs) Uh a drag name is oftentimes, it doesn't always have to be, a pun. So think about that as an example. Uh, Looking at the Wikipedia page for RuPaul's Drag Race UK Season 1, to put you in the English mindset, some example names are Baga Chips, Blue Hydrangea, Scaredy Cat, Gothy Kendall. Put yourself in, in the head of, uh, of puns. Puns will be rewarded by me. Um, okay. But, you know, rules are made to be broken, so go with your heart, because it doesn't always need to be a pun. Okay, good to know. So maybe a pun, but maybe not. Excellent. Rely on your creativity and passion for victory. Yes. Are you guys ready for Wolf Hall Drag Race? Yes. Ready for it. Start your And engines. if this game goes poorly, it's Dylan's fault. Um, so, first, Queen. Richard III. What do we know about him? Some Ooh. sort of deformity, megalomaniac, ruthless, would murder people, does a good monologue. Um, all right. Yeah, okay. So here, here, check it, guys. Bailey's big on check it now that she's back. <laughs> His drag name is Winter O. Discontent. Pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Using the Shakespeare reference. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, my answer is Richard. You heard? And he, like, they'll have a move where they like dramatically gesture to their ear. Okay. Okay. That's good. All right. So Bailey is going to get two points for that. Congratulations. And Toby, I'm not going to give you any points. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not because you've done something wrong, but you, you're not as familiar with the process. Ideally, you're changing their gender in some way or making it completely uh different than using richard's real first name ah okay got it again the points don't matter because i could give 20 points at the end so don't get too worried about not getting points the first round Mm, okay okay bailey's leading two to nothing but we got another heavy hitter another queen is entering the stage off stage they're known as william shakespeare writer of a lot of plays if you believe that he was the only writer of them maybe it was a conglomerate who knows did christopher marlowe do it no it was william let's talk about it okay his name his drag name is rose by any other name (laughs) (laughs) that's good so so far you've only used words from shakespeare plays but great (laughs) dylan likes it (laughs) um and he wears exclusively pink that's that's his thing 
Okay. That's pretty excellent. You're wrong because their stage name is going to be The Tempest. And uh, they're going to have these like like storm themed dresses. Very dramatic. Toby, you need to go to a drag show. (laughs) (laughs) What about Tempest the Temptress? This is this is pretty rough, guys. I've never seen the show. I mean, literally, you just need to make a female name into a pun. (laughs) But I like the Tempest as an answer here. So let's tabulate up again. Bailey, I really like Rose by any other name. It is the second time you've used literally a line from a Shakespeare play. You gave me Shakespeare. Understandable, as you're doing Shakespeare, but I'm only giving you one point for this round. And Toby, I like the idea of someone's whole persona being that they're a messy, messy storm. So I'm giving you one point as well. So points stand at three to one to Bailey's favor. But again, any number of points can be delivered at any time. Excellent. Oh, man, Summer Night Dream would be a good one. Yeah, that's pretty solid. See, Dylan, you're allowed to throw in answers, but be aware that if you come up with a really good one, the other participants will be uh, upset. Um, here's number three. Bailey has just spent a lot of time with this character, but Toby, you're definitely going to know a few things about him. We got Henry VIII strutting onto the stage, the Tudor prince struggling to get a male heir, known for his corpulence, his wild eating, his crazy bedtime antics. What do you got for a drag name for for sweet, sweet Henry VIII? Well, there is a um, long tradition of plus size queens such as pork chop and eureka and so i'm gonna i'm gonna go with a plus size queen here i'm going to say king size bed that's that's the name <laughs> king size bed okay yep. i really like it could apply to any king but love it and this is a queen so you can go with the classic of divine right oh no what about blood pudding Ooh. Oh, well, too late, Bailey. You've already said king-size bed. I've got it. It's Henrietta the Slate. Oh, Ooh. okay. The Slate, like slay. Yes, All right. like slay. See, Toby, you're getting it. You don't believe in yourself, and then you come through with a great one like that. So, uh, tabulation machine is, is cooking and firing, and Bailey, you're getting another zero points because, again, this are, these are queens we're creating, and I know he is offstage King Henry VIII, but... Uh, it was bad, and I think you should be ashamed. Um, and Toby, I think you've very much redeemed yourself, and I'm going to give you two points here, which means the score is tied at three to three. Oh, my. Mm-mm. Okay, there are two more left, and we're going to go through them relatively quickly. Second to last, penultimate, we're switching it up here. This is someone who in their daily life presents as female and uh, is named Anne Boleyn. And Bailey knows a mm. lot about Anne Boleyn. And what you might need to know about her is... She ends up getting beheaded. Uh, she Ooh, spoilers. Is... You said this. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was considered a witch by some as an excuse. She, in Wolf Hall, is very uh, set on becoming queen at the expense of all before her. But I'm just, you know, I don't want to tip my hand as the judge. Lean into the beheading, maybe. I've got it. <laughs> She's going to be on stage ham boiling and it's gonna be a man named ham who's just constantly boiling a bucket of water <laughs> what how is that a drag name <laughs> I, I, well i don't care it's, if it's a good drag name but it's giving me it's slightly a pun <laughs> oh wait is she being a drag king yeah she's Ooh, being a drag obviously. king so this is ham this is ham boiling 
who boils oh. water on stage and is dressed as a ham like in To Kill a Mockingbird. In my head, yes, it's yeah, canon. that's part of it, too. That's canon. Yeah. Ooh, okay. A male um. ham. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, mine is named Gil O'Teen, and it's a dude that he's dressed up as like a sexy executioner. Okay. I don't think that Anne Boleyn was uh, killed by a guillotine. But I don't think she was either. So there's that. <laughs> she wasn't because they weren't invented yet, but it's drag. And so, you know, whimsy. Mm-hmm. Okay, drag yeah, is historically know. accurate. <laughs> um, okay. You guys are both getting one point. Bailey, that was a creative answer and well done. Toby, I genuinely am tickled by the, somebody just naming themselves ham, ham boiling. And <laughs> we're going to go into the last one tied. So here we are now. We are in the modern era. And I want to know what Prince Charles does on his nights out when he wants to perform. (laughs) Second in line for the throne, been waiting a very long time to become king, uh, father to William, and to a lesser extent, Harry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) To the same extent, Harry. Um, What do you got for me for Prince Charles? So he's going to go as Camilla Parker Boyless. So it's like a girl, but it's Camilla Parker Bowles. Is that that's her name, right? Bowles. Yeah, Bowles. Bowles, but yeah. Um, but then his signature song is never going to get it because he's never going <laughs> to get the <laughs> Excellent, well thought out, and way to bring in Camilla. That's very nice. I've got you beat hands down because uh, he's actually going on stage as Chucky Squeeze, a female rat with enormous breasts that it's that she squeezes. No, <laughs> it's Queen of the Scourge. Like provocatively at the at the audience. Is this Queen of the Scourge as a drag queen? Toby, you got to tell me if that's what this is. <laughs> I, I I feel bad because I know someone out there already is performing under the name Chucky Squeeze. I guarantee it. <laughs> Mine was Princess Guy, but it's very poor taste. Oh, that's <laughs> in awful taste. All right. There can be no winner. You both get zero points for that round. What? <laughs> How dare you? Chucky well, Squeeze. Okay, tell you what. You guys both get 14 points for that round. And Yay. it's still a tie. <laughs> you should make them lip sync for their lives. Lip syncing, notoriously great on podcasts. Yes. (laughs) No, thank you guys so much for playing. Again, if you didn't enjoy this game, listeners, it's all Dylan's fault. If you did, I put in the work. May Chucky Squeeze haunt your dreams forever. There's no worries that that's going to haunt my dream forever. This is going to be one of those things that like, I wake up in the middle of the night and I have the perfect pun for Henry VIII. And I was like, oh, why didn't I think of that? So thank you for that game, Andrew. It's going to haunt my dreams. Head rolling. Excellent. Head roll in, head roll in. Oh no. <laughs> That's so good, Dylan. <laughs> All right, uh, we've edited it and actually uh, Dylan wins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, guys, welcome Dylan back to the podcast. It's his time on the podcast. It is the choosing. The choosing. This is Dylan's time. This is my time now. And this is the time, just to be clear, where Dylan chooses books at random off our shelves to read next. Okay. I haven't done this in a while, but I also never got a ride in the first place. For Andrew. Hi. His book is uh, number 74, Tales by Amiri Baraka. Okay, this is really cool. Um, This is a book that I borrowed from my dad years ago and have never read. It's supposed to be quite good. Um, My teacher in college was taught by Amiri Baraka. So um, he was his mentor. So I'm really excited to, to read this. And I've also not yet done 
short stories on the podcast. So this is really fun. I haven't read a book of short stories in years. I have not heard of this book. Neither have I. Ah, well, Amiri Baraka is supposed to be a great writer, and I'm excited to read some of his work. Okay. Um, And Bailey, this is really weird. Like, I legitimately got this through the random number generator. Mm -hmm. Bailey also got number 74. My Sister the Serial Killer by Oinken Braithwaite. That's crazy. Double 74s. Double 74. Can we also point out that My Sister the Serial Killer is such a better descriptive title than Tales? True. All right, (laughs) Dylan, already trying to put my review down and it hasn't even happened yet. (laughs) All I'm saying is three stars, four stars. (laughs) I'm very excited for this book. This book is really well recommended by a lot of people. I think I got it over Christmas. Toby, you read this book book right yeah i really enjoyed it it's a really awesome. and it's really quick it's really quick too excellent all right so that means in two weeks toby's covering witches abroad by terry pratchett from the Discworld series and i will be covering my sister the serial killer i'm excited yay yeah thanks for listening to the to read list if you'd like to get in contact with us you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com follow us on goodreads at goodreads.com slash the to read list podcast we're on Facebook and Instagram at the To Read List Podcast and on Twitter at To Read List Pod. And if you like what you heard, please go on to your podcatching app of choice. Leave a rating and a review. It really does help more people find us. It bumps us up their algorithm. And we're always looking for new listeners. Don't you want us to have new listeners? Speaking of new listeners, um, if you guys have friends who enjoy books, who enjoy reading, who enjoy rating things by a numerical amount of stars, please recommend this podcast to them. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. If you can't love yourself, then how the heck are you supposed to love any of your wives? Oh. We'll pull drag race. Good job, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs>